Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Life on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Amy Debrick, and I'm excited you're with me today. If you're looking for some weekly encouragement in addition to this podcast, I would invite you to head over to my website at amydebrick.com. Subscribe there so you can have full access to my free resource library. You'll also receive my weekly newsletter and stay updated on all things coming in 2021, including my book launch for my encouragement journal in Bolden and a confidence course that I'll be launching in the beginning of the new year. This week we are kicking off this month of Thanksgiving and gratitude with New York Times bestselling author and speaker, Karen Eman. Karen and I will be discussing her new book, Reach Out, Gather In, 40 Days to Opening Your Heart and Home. I hope you enjoy the interview. Good morning. This morning on Life on Purpose podcast, we are talking with one of my all-time favorite authors, Karen Eman. Karen is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries, and a writer for Encouragement Today. She also has online devotionals that reach over millions of women daily. She's authored 15 books and has been featured on numerous outlets, including Fox News, Today Parenting, Red Book, Crosswalk, and Home Life Magazine. So welcome, Karen. It is my honor to have you twice in one year. Well, thanks for having me, Amy. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's, it's my pleasure. And I'm so excited about this new book. So I want to just dive right in um, to talk about Reach Out and Gather In. And, you know, obviously when we interviewed before, it was kind of at the beginning of this pandemic. So we really hadn't been in the thick of how many restrictions and limitations we were all having. So first, I just want to ask you, what prompted you to write this book? And, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. But let's talk a little bit about Behind of Reach Out and Gather In. Well, hospitality has been an interesting topic in my life in that I was raised by a single mom who was living on a budget so tight it squeaked. So we didn't have a real nice house and nice things. And she was working all the hours she could to put food on the table. So we didn't have a whole lot of extra time either to have people over. So I grew up not even really knowing all about hospitality. I, my mom was a fabulous cook. She was doing it for a living in her career, but she didn't have a lot of time to teach me how to cook. Um, and so I just wasn't skilled at all in any of this. And then I got married and the family I married into was full of interior decorators, gourmet cooks. One of them owned a bed and breakfast, you know, one of my, my husband's sisters. And I'm like, oh my goodness, here, I'm going to take my bacon take Sara Lee pie to the family Thanksgiving. It's probably not going to cut it. But anyway, uh, God really taught me a, that there's a huge difference between hospitality and entertaining. And I spent my early years trying to really pull out all the stops and impress my new family um, that I'd married into with my entertaining prowess, but God really taught me that hospitality is more about the condition of your heart than the condition of your home. And it doesn't even need to be done in your home. You can be hospitable and welcoming wherever you are. So my whole marriage has been a journey of learning to really practice biblical hospitality and to welcome people, regardless if it's in my home or if it's, you know, some new parent on my kid's sports team, and I've just gathered a lot of ideas over the years. And I've had people say, oh, I wish I could do what you do. Or I wish I had your recipes or I wish I had your perspective. And I'm like, well, maybe I could just put it all in the book. So 
that's how this 40 day challenge came about. So it's a, just a real practical tool for people that I hope will inspire them to live a life of welcome, but not just inspire them, but to show them tangibly how. Right. Well, and I think right now, because of all these restrictions, because the pandemic isn't over yet, um, there's normal, there's just hesitation because of the time we're living in right now. But what would you say in addition to that, what, why is there normally a hesitation for people to invite others into their homes? What have you heard from other people or experienced? Well, I think our brain can craft all kinds of excuses, you know, at the drop of a hat that, sure. that we use in order to not do what the Bible commands. It doesn't suggest that we be hospitable. It commands us to be hospitable, but we, we just craft all these excuses like my house is too small or I'm not a great cook or maybe my house isn't decorated super fancy. I, I'm too nervous about talking to people. I don't have that problem because I you know, I can fill a whole hour with no topic, but I, I, have some, I have some friends though that are like, you know, I'm not worried about my house and my food. I just don't know what I'm going to say, you know, mm. so we have all of these excuses. But what I think we fail to recognize is that all of those things we're so stressed about when we have someone else over to our home, they're not anything we think about when we are on the flip side and when we're a guest in someone else's home. I mean, I don't sit there if someone's invited me over and think, Wow, I really hope their house is fancy. Boy, I hope the food's gourmet. I hope the, the house is big, you know. <laughs> we don't we don't think of any of that, you know. Right. So I like to try to tell myself, you know, when, when I stress out or when I'm talking with someone who's stressing out, like just put yourself in the other place. The things you're you're worrying about as a host are not what your guest is wanting nor expecting at all. So just think about how you think when you're in someone else's house, what's important to you, it's more important that you feel welcome, that you feel listened to, that you feel like they're interested in you and they, um, they want to talk about your life and not just talk about themselves, you know, and yeah, you want there to be something yummy to eat and you want to sit on a comfy chair in a room that doesn't look like a bomb blew up in it, you know, but it's, it doesn't have to be perfect. We, we've got to right. get this notion of perfection out of our brains and I think it comes about because we, you know, we see all this on social media. We follow these accounts that have great food and, you know, shiplap everywhere and, and television shows, you know, yeah. and, and we think if we can't do it like the experts do, then we're not going to do it at all. You know, so we need to use the experts as resources. I mean, we did just put some shiplap up in our house. <laughs> it's fine to do it, use it as a resource, but don't try, right. to, mimic, don't try to mimic them as a lifestyle because you're, you're always going to fall short. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such a good point. And, you know, I never really even thought about that, but that is so true. When you show up to somebody else's house, you're never thinking about that. Like, gosh, I hope they have a brand new, you know, living room or mm -hmm. I hope they just recently, it's so funny, but you know, you do, you become immediately insecure when it's, you know, when you're the host and thinking all of these things, but you're right. Nobody's thinking that when they're showing up, unless you literally have dirty laundry out. <laughs> Right. Like, geez, she could have put that away before I came over, but, um, right. that would be the only justifiable thing I would say that anybody would be thinking, but, um, but I agree. And I do think that we see so much now we're bombarded with, um, you know, and you and I talked about it before we even started recording almost a little bit of highlight reels and you're seeing a glimpse into, you know, I don't even know if it's everybody's reality. You're, but you're just seeing a glimpse into the best of whatever the best looks like. And, um, and then you, you're right. Anytime we keep trying to compare 
um, we're always, it's always going to fall short because we're not even really seeing the whole picture. Number one. And, um, and number two, that's the least of it. You know what I mean? A fellowship is the, is the stuff. It's the people there. So yeah. I love that. I love that it's 40 days and I, I write on the cover 40 days of opening your heart and your home. And I also wanted to ask you, cause there's a concept that you mentioned in this book, which is go find your old self. So can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So I had a mother who, well, she's not at all like me in personality. She's very quiet and very shy. And I don't think she'd yell even if she were on fire. You know, she's not that, <laughs> that uh, outgoing personality that I, I, I am. But there was one thing about her life that just spoke such, um, I don't know, just spoke volumes to me. And I wanted to adopt that lifestyle. And it was this. When I was in probably the sixth grade, I had a really bad day. I don't remember if I didn't get invited to the slumber party or what happened, but I was complaining to my mom about it. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, you know, honey, whenever you're down in life and circumstances aren't going your way, you need to remember this. There's always someone out there who has it worse off than you. So go find that person and do something to make their day. And in a strange way, it ends up making yours as well. Because just as we were talking about a second ago, Amy, we have our life or our eyes on the wrong people in life. Those people who seem to have it better than us. You know, it seems like their marriage is perfect. Seems like their house is great. Seems like their kids are well-behaved. You know, when we're getting a call from the principal that our kid's sitting in his office because he did something wrong, right? So right, we, right. Seems, it seems, it seems like everyone else has life better than us. And we're coming apart at the seams because we're, we've got our eyes on people who seem to have it better than us. Instead of doing what my mom did and looking for that person who surely doesn't have life as, as well off as you, um, go find them and do something to make their day. So I kind of adapted that, that concept by saying this, go find your old self. And so what I mean by that is this, when I was growing up, I was living in a broken home, the child of divorce, my, my father had left us, he was an alcoholic, um, and he was abusive, and he left us. Now, the end of the story is the last 20 years of his life, he came back to the Lord, we had a great relationship, so that's, that's a different <laughs> topic right. for a different day, but I remember feeling just crushed as a middle schooler and as a high schooler, because most of my friends still had intact families. There weren't a lot of divorces back then in my little small town, and I remember feeling you know, sad on Christmas that everyone else had their whole families together or sad that these families got to go on these great vacations. And, and, you know, we were living on a really tight budget. My mom raising two kids as a single mom. And so now fast forward to my life, who has God brought in my life through, especially my youngest son and his friends, several teenagers who are the child of divorce. And so when I can do something for them, I can listen to them. I can you know, bake them cookies and make them feel like they're welcome in my home. In a way, I feel like I'm going back and I'm finding my old self. So I, you know, mm -hmm. were you that, that stressed out mom who had a baby clinging to her and, you know, a toddler screaming and um, was in the grocery store just looking frazzled? Well, when you happen upon someone like that today, don't roll your eyes at her and go, oh, well, my children never acted like that. You know, they did. Right. <laughs> In, instead, you know, slip her a $10 bill and say, mom, you're doing a good job. Hang in there. Go get yourself uh, a latte on the way home and a snack for the kids. You know, hang in there. You're doing a great job. You know, were you once brand new to your town? You had a cross country move and you moved to your town. And you didn't know a soul and you felt so lonely those first few months. Well, you know what? Go look for someone who just moved across country 
Go find your old self. Do something to bless them financially or emotionally or to lighten their load, you know, help them move in, help them, um, you know, babysit their kids so they can get a break, whatever it is. Think about where you used to be and then go find someone in that situation. It makes me think of the scripture and I'm notorious for, I call them sort of scriptures. Like I know it, but I can't tell you the reference. But um, I think it's in Corinthians when it says that God comforts us with, with his comfort so that we in turn can comfort others with the comfort we receive from God. And I think that's exactly what happens when you go find someone who's in the situation, the season of life you once were and do something to encourage them. Go find your old self, love them, minister to them and point them to the Lord. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, we, my husband and I early on in our marriage had some tragic events and a lot of grief that we experienced. Our oldest son had passed away and my brother had also passed away 16 days apart, completely unrelated. And so we had a lot of grief early on. And, um, you know, now you fast forward between that time, you know, this was almost 25 years ago, we've had four more kids and, um, very nice life and, and, and all of that. And then about five years ago, one of my closest friends, her husband died suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wasn't even mm-hmm. 40. Wow. And, um, and so I've just learned along the way, you know, like your mother had kind of said, it, it's, it's always good to be able to use your pain for a purpose. And it's kind of that same idea and kind of, you know, what I could have used back then. Now I I'm able to pour out to somebody else who needs it. I think that is so important. And I think we do sometimes, and maybe it's just, I don't even know if it's intentional um, to roll our eyes at that mom in the store or whatever, or we're just so caught up in our own busyness Mm -hmm. that we don't give people the consideration and empathy that, Sometimes it's just a, like you said, it, it doesn't have to be something major, but just a basic gesture to say, I see you, you know, mm-hmm. I was you Yes. now, and now I'm happy to help you and, and you're, you're not going to, you know, change her whole life, but you're going to change your day. You're going to change her hour of, you know, feeling beaten down and maybe, um, you know, not where she wants to be that just to know that somebody can relate. And I think that, um, the older I get, I realize, you know, I thought it was more, and I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but you know, when you're younger, I feel like everybody's so insecure, right? When they're in those younger ages and grades and, um, but you know, as, as I've gotten older, I noticed that a lot of women, adult women still feel that same way. Unless somebody's willing to share their bad story first, ever, you know, nobody, nobody wants to be that first one. And so when you do that, you don't really know anybody else's struggle. So you don't really have an ability to help somebody either. And it's so nice to be able to kind of just put your guard down and show a little vulnerability at times. So people can kind of be there a little bit more for each other and, and know that they're not alone. I think that's the worst feeling. Um, and that's why I love the whole premise behind this book, because I just think it's nice to be able to find an excuse maybe to get back to fellowship you know, and you make it simple, you you know, hospitality is one of the most simple ways to do that, which I think is great. And you also talk about hospitality, even outside the home. So give an example of what you are describing as like hospitality outside the house. Well, some people, for whatever reasons, feel like they can't use their home, you know, maybe 
their spouse isn't really keen on having other people over. So mm-hmm. it's not something that you do. So instead, you know, find a location in your hometown, you know, that you can use to offer the location while you still offer some hospitality. So pack a picnic lunch and, you know, some Frisbees for the kids and take another mom and her young kids to the beach or to a park and offer some hospitality there while the kids play. You can visit or maybe just take a friend out for coffee and a sweet treat at a local coffee house or cafe just to just lean in and listen to them and to really get to know them on a a deeper level than just, Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Well, you know, neither of you probably are great. (laughs) If you're you're really being honest, but just, you know, go to a coffee shop to do it on the road or think of other places in your life where people need to feel welcomed. Um, And a new family on your block, uh, a new coworker at work, or, you know, maybe there's, there's a, someone at church that they're not new, but they're new to you and you've never gotten to know them. Well, what can you do on the road? Can you take them something? Can you, you know, do a drive-by or a drop-off in this day and age of the COVID and the pandemic? You know, it doesn't have to always be that you're opening your front door and letting people in your house. Just think of a way to welcome someone in a different location in town or on their own turf by just doing something, taking something to them that, that, show, that shows them that you care, you see them, you notice them, and you're there if they need anything. Mm, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's great. And I want you to just, before we wrap this up, I want you to talk a little bit about this, um, the story at the um, end of the book of this boy that you call Second Grant. Can you just <laughs> talk a little bit about this? I know it had a big impact on you, so I would love for you to share it. Sure. So my youngest son, well, my oldest two kids were homeschooled. Um, all the way through, my husband worked afternoons and he would have never seen the kids if they were in a traditional school. So we chose to homeschool and send them to a homeschool academy. But then our third child, he was homeschooled through seventh grade. And then in eighth grade, my husband got put on days. So he went to the local public school. And so he got to know a bunch of other kids that hadn't been in our circle of friends before. And they would often come to our house, often, and eat my food. <laughs> and, and that was good. We wanted our house to be the, the teenage hangout because, you know, you can keep an, keep an eye sure. on things that way. You can lean down and listen through the register when they're down in the man cave and, the, <laughs> and eating their pizza or whatever. Right. So there are some times, you know, that I would be in my home office working away on something and I wouldn't even know that my son had come home and brought a whole mess of boys with them. I, until I would walk out to make myself another cup of coffee, I'd go out to the kitchen and I would pass the front foyer and there would be this huge pile of shoes. Then the boys knew to take their shoes off of my house before they went down the basement to play their video games and eat their snacks. And so I would see this pile of shoes. And about that time, my son would bound up the door and I'd say, hey, Spencer. And he'd, you're, I'd say, you know, hey, you're home. Who'd you bring with you? You know, and then he'd rattle off all these names, Emilio and Antonio and Javari and Grant and this, the other grant. So I called him first and second grant. And there was even a first, second and third Jake. But anyhow, second grant was new to uh, the school. And he was, I don't know, I kind of stalked him on social media. I wasn't quite sure, like, if I really wanted my son to be friends with him. I just wasn't so sure, you know, but I thought, who cares? You know, we're going to just love him. We're going to let him in our house. I didn't really know if I'd let my son go over to his house because I just didn't know he was new and I was a little unsure of him. But there was an interesting fact about, about second grant. He was an early riser. And I tried really hard to do my writing at times where I wasn't infringing on my 
time with my kids. And so one time that always worked for me was super early on Saturday mornings. I would get up at like six o'clock and I knew I could probably write until 10 until those boys in my basement woke up and wanted their homemade whole grain waffles. Right. Mm-hmm. Except second grant, like he would bound upstairs at like 7 a.m. And, like, oh. and he'd, uh, he'd sit down on the couch and go, what you doing, Mama Karen? You know, and he would drink coconut mocha coffee, which is my favorite coffee. And I was at the time working on a message that then ended up becoming this book that we're talking about, about noticing that person standing right in front of you and just, you know, zeroing in and being all there and really seeing them as ministry. And so he'd plop on the couch and go, what you doing? And I'm like, uh, I'm trying to, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, I'm trying to write a message on noticing the person in front of you. Could you leave me alone? You know? And it was almost like the Lord said, you know, oh, I get it, Karen. You want to give the message. You just don't want to live the message. You know, and God's so bossy sometimes. So I would shut my laptop and I'd sit and visit with him and I got to know him. I, I tried to work Jesus into the conversation. You know, the boys always knew they were going to get a little side sermon served up with Miss Karen's corn chowder, you know, but I tried to talk to him over the course of probably about nine months. And every Saturday, it was the same thing. He'd grab coconut mocha coffee. He'd plop on the couch. What you doing, Miss Karen? And we would talk. Well, fast forward to that spring. It was like, late winter, early spring. And one day Grant said, Hey, are you and Mr. Eamon going to be around the third Sunday in March? And I thought, Oh, there must be some big sports event on, you know, what snacks do they want? And so I asked him, well, what snack do you guys want? What sports on? And he said, no, no, you don't understand. You see, Mrs. Eamon, I have responded to the gospel and accepted Christ and I'm getting baptized and I want Mm. you to be there in the front row. And I remember just bawling and thinking, Oh my word, I almost missed it. (laughs) You know, I almost missed it because I was too busy doing my own thing. You know, it's God who does the saving. It's not because of me, but he, you know, used me and other people in his life. It actually ended up that he and his mom and his brother all got baptized that night. And I was in the front row just bawling, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when I imagine us getting to heaven someday, you know, I don't think that God's going to ask us, you know, how great we did in our career, or how fantastic our children turned out. You know, I feel like what he's going to say to us is the same thing that I say to my son when I see that pile of shoes, you know? Oh, hey, you're home. Who'd you bring with you? Mm. Who'd you bring with you? And so I think we need to not despise the small things and to realize that just, and I'm going to cry, but just sharing a cup of mocha coconut coffee with a teenager can be a way that God touches their heart and affects their life for eternity. But we're so busy being jealous of other people we see on social media, complaining that, you know, we've got old carpet and our house isn't fancy. We can make up all these excuses rather than just realizing that living a life of hospitality is just inviting someone to pull up a chair in life and sit beside you and join you. However ordinary your life may be, people don't care about your fancy things. They just want to know that you care about them. Right. Gosh, Karen, thanks. You made me tear up. (laughs) That is such a, just an incredible story. I loved reading that. I mean, and you're so right. I mean, you're, you just, you just don't know who the one person is. I always say that, you know, when I, when I get frustrated or whatever, it's like, you just don't know who that one person is. And here's this boy that, you know, was almost becoming a nuisance in your writing time. And he was the one. He was the one that, that needed that little reassurance. He needed to hear those little messages that, you know, you probably thought were going over his head. And I love that. That's so encouraging. And in the, in a way, I mean, truly in a way I was finding my old self. He was a child of divorce. 
He sat with me and drank coffee. You know, I was led to the Lord by a woman who reached out to me, a child of divorce, and used to serve me apple cinnamon tea. And I would sit on her couch, you know. So in a way, it was, it was a full circle moment because I was ministering to someone who was exactly where I was back when I was in high school. Right, right. Well, I think that that's an incredible story. I'm so glad that you shared that in the book. That was just really powerful. And I think a lot of people can really benefit from hearing that today. It's just a nice reminder that it doesn't have to be something spectacular, but your efforts can really have extraordinary results. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, where can listeners pick up a copy of this book, reach out and gather in, and where can they find you online? Sure. It's available at any major retailer. And um, they can find all the links for the different outlets if they want to on my website, which is KarenEman.com. And Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N. Great. Well, Karen, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you again. And I think this book is just um, the timing of it couldn't be any better. Well, thanks so much for having me, Amy. Well, that's it for us today. I look forward to connecting with you back here again next week as we continue this discussion on gratitude during this month of Thanksgiving. We're going to be talking with former paraplegic Amy Westbrook-Mills, and her story is so inspiring, and I can't wait to have you listen to the interview. In the meantime, don't forget to live your life on purpose. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and God bless.